Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. We're going to jump right into it. Richard Greenfield, uh, one of the most courageous securities analysts out there. He was pilloried years ago on a thing called Vonage. A guy named Walter Pisek who told me to buy Apple years ago. I didn't. I'm not allowed to buy anything. But anyways, the two of them together are very powerful. Paul, let's jump, in, jump into the conversation. Yep. we, we got to go really with the topic of the moment, which is this 5G thing in Huawei. Yeah, there's a, just a tremendous amount going on here as we think about on the telecom space globally. Uh, Walter, let's start with that. You know, we think about the Huawei news. It's in the, it's right in the topic right here in the news this week. But it really ties into the biggest deal in your space or one of the biggest deals in your space, Sprint T-Mobile. What's the latest there and how's it all tied in? It really does. I mean, there's, there's a tremendous focus on this race to 5G and, and beating China. And, and being the first to, to have our country, our companies uh, excel there and, you know, pushing back on Huawei is part of that. It's also part of the trade war. But I think it's, you know, I think was, as was, has been mentioned over the past 24 hours. But, you know, Sprint T-Mobile is a transaction that is getting pitched in part on, you know, even if it raises prices, does T-Mobile get enough spectrum to accelerate 5G? And again, if this is a political agenda um, for the administration, that could be something that that supersedes how the DOJ typically looks at transactions, which should be really on whether it raises prices for customers or not. So, I mean, when we think about the five, the, this race to five G on a global basis, is in your perspective, is it really the U.S. versus China? I mean, I think it's that's the primary focus, right? You've got a number of vendors there, their ability to move fast on deploying. Um, technologies in their country. Um, so th- that's definitely been the focus on the administration. Um, you know, being first is, is clearly important um, and, and starts to develop, you know, who can have leading market shares. But look, at the end of the day, right. if we're effectively shutting down Huawei, that's going to provide an opportunity for other companies to to excel, in, on the, at least on the infrastructure side. I mean, Rich, I was the last one to get an iPhone. I was the last one to get the iPod thing before it as well. Is your content world going to catch up with Walter's 5G world? I mean, is it? Are we going to consume in five years with five G like we consume now? Well, look, I, I think the one of the big questions we have, right, is you know what you're seeing is TV is shifting to the internet. You know, it used to be. I think we were often looked at as a heretic talking about our good luck bundle hashtag four or five years ago. No one's calling us a heretic anymore. I mean, now it's just a question of how fast is the traditional linear TV world melting down, cord cuttings at record levels. You're seeing essentially every major media company, kind of if you look at the legacy media companies, they just went through their big TV advertising upfronts where they show off all their new shows for the coming year. And they actually spent more time, certainly at the beginning of every single presentation, Tom, was talking about their streaming plans. Warner Media starting one, NBC starting one, Disney's talking about owning 100% of Hulu now at the beginning of their presentation. I mean, it was all about the internet. And so once you shift TV to the internet, 5G flows perfectly in. In fact, I think one of the most interesting things that no one's talking about right now is what Verizon's planning on doing. What are they doing? So Verizon signed a deal when they reported earnings, they came out with a press release that they are expanding their partnership with YouTube TV. So you take a best-in-class over-the-top cable service, 
and you combine it with Verizon. Now, they're not just packaging it with 5G. They're planning on selling it. Instead of selling Fios TV, they want to sell YouTube TV, and they haven't started the marketing for that. But you know, you asked the question of how they're going to take advantage of what 5G can do, and I think that's a great example of you know, the, the actual quality of the experience of combining what YouTube and Google have done with YouTube TV with these better networks is really interesting to us. So one of the things, as I think about having you two guys in the studio together, I think about the AT&T Time Warner deal. You know, Tom, these are the big, you know, AT&T, one of the biggest names in Walter Space and Time Warner, you know, the legacy media, a company that Richard and I have covered for a long time. Putting those two companies together, Walter, from your perspective, was that a good deal for AT&T? I mean, part of it for AT&T is they're becoming this massive conglomerate and it's diversification and they're figuring out ways to to continue to, to fund dividend growth, which is what their investors care about the most. So if they can uh, create a 5G studio like I guess Verizon has and, and figure out ways to mix the technology with the content, I guess there's synergy Okay, there. come on, but AT&T has done 8.1% per year for the last 10 years. Rich Greenfield, that's a failure, right? I mean, is AT&T ready for a moonshot? I don't think so. Look, I call it the, the, in many ways, I look at the whole space and call this the March of the Penguins. You, you probably remember the beginning of the movie, Tom, where all the penguins are huddling, the emperor penguins. It's freezing cold, winter's coming, and they huddle together for survival. None of the media companies are doing anything interesting. I mean, AT&T buying Time Warner, Discovery merging with Scripps, Disney buying Fox, Viacom okay. merging with CBS. These are the most unexciting transformative transactions. We, we got a minute here and then we're going to come back. And as I get things to talk about, Walter Pisek, if the creative people walk out the door, these companies change, don't they? They do. There's this existing amount of library and there's these, look, the DirecTV customers are fleeing every quarter. But there is some residual free cash flow that helps them to fund the dividend. But yeah, I mean, look, it's important. Rich would know far more about that than I do. Um, Game of Thrones is over. You know, what happens with HBO? <laughs> what happens with forward? HBO? Look, but look, you know, Tom, I would say that, you know, at the end of the day, um, content is about spending money, right? I mean, you got to spend a lot of money. You got to really invest in it. I think it's way too early to tell how much AT&T is going to invest in businesses like HBO we haven't even seen their new kind of Warner Media, whether they're going to call it HBO Max, but we haven't even seen this yet. So it's still pretty early. I mean, yeah. yes, there's been a lot of change. People are definitely nervous, both internally and externally, right. but we'll see what they actually put up on the screen. This is a joy. Rich Greenfield, Walter Pisek with us. We'll continue this discussion. Paul Sweeney and Tom Keen, thrilled on media. Jab with us, Walter Pisek. And yes, we'll get to Apple. We've had a couple of emails. We will get to Apple with Mr. Pisek as we can. He dragged along our greenfield with this as <laughs> well. Rich, give us a story quickly of the Vonage IPO. I want to go back. Tom, that's too far ago. I that's can't even remember. I'm, not, I, you know, I'm too but old. My memory doesn't go back really, that far. This is really important about the courage of securities analysts and that you have an opinion and the company gets angry. What do you do? Look, I mean, you know, take a great example of Disney. I mean, they didn't like our sell rating for three years. Um, you know, the stock underperformed. I mean, the only real movement in the stock has been in the last sort of eight weeks where it had a big bump, but it was basically mm -hmm. flat for three years straight, um, flat to down. Where are you buy, hold, sell on Disney right now? Now we're at neutral and we're just waiting. I think, you know, the good news for Disney is they've set really yeah. ambitious goals. 
the bad news is uh, the cable ecosystem is coming unhinged. Cord cutting is right. accelerating. But look, the, the, the issue, to answer your question very bluntly, is they don't let us into analyst meetings. They don't let us call them. They don't respond to emails. It's disappointing behavior from a big public company, but the reality is we don't need them to do our job, and, and we're going to keep swinging. It's not common, unfortunately, Tom. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it happens more than you would think. But what, what you and I should have done about four or five years ago, Tom, is just listen to this guy, Rich, and just gone, basically, I'm going to paraphrase here, long Netflix and just short the rest of media. And that's kind of where Rich has been, and that's kind of where uh, the stocks have, have traded. But so, Rich, specifically on Disney here, you know, the way I kind of look at it, if anybody can compete against the Netflix or the Amazons or maybe even the Apples and the Facebooks, it's got to be Disney. I'm not sure if they can do it, but do you think they have what it takes to make this pivot to where the world is going? Look, they absolutely have the content to do it and the creative resources to do it. The question is, is do they really want to quote unquote win? And, and by meaning, by that, I mean, they have to spend aggressively. You know, you can't just go in and, and dabble in streaming. You have to literally put all of your focus on making this work. And the challenge is, is you know, Avengers is amazing, right? I mean, Walt loved Endgame. He sat through the whole three hours with his family. He's a super Marvel fan. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So did, you know, they sold $2 billion worth of tickets worldwide. So figure, let's just say $10 a ticket. 200 million people bought tickets, and Disney knows the names of literally none of them. They don't know that Walt and his family love Marvel and Avengers. So part of the problem is Disney's still sticking with movie theaters, home video, DVD, iTunes. They're not shifting to a model where if you want to watch Avengers, the only place to watch it is on Disney+. Plus. That's just too disruptive for them. And so I think the question is, how aggressive is Disney in shifting their business model to make the streaming service a winner? Because they can win. It's a matter of how disruptive, you know, disrupting yourself, you go back to Apple and Steve Jobs and disrupting yourself is really hard culturally to do. And media companies, generally management teams are not incentivized to blow up their legacy business models to build for the future. And I think that that is a real inhibitor uh, of winning in streaming. So, so Walter, let's let's pivot to Apple here because as Rich was just saying, it's hard to change your core business model for Apple. It's been that, let's the unit sales of iPhones has kind of been the story for, gee, the last decade or so. You can throw in iPads if you want. You can throw in some other things, some wearables, but it's really been the phone. Uh, can that company, can Apple make the pivot to what is the next thing? And I'm not even sure I know what the next thing is. Yeah, I mean, the next thing for them is the focus on services. And it's and services is not something that's necessarily disrupting what they're doing. I mean, look, they've had a speed bump in the past year, given the volatility that exists in China and sales in China, and the fact that people are just holding onto their phones for a long period of time. There's a lot of people out there. Tom, I don't know, what, what do you got, iPhone 6, 6S? There's a lot of people that have very old iPhones that they haven't upgraded for a while. He's checking right now. He's not even sure. Walt, I'm just glad he has an us. iPhone. <laughs> yes, exactly. So the upgrade cycle is at some point going to stop lengthening. And so your, your iPhone business is still generating tens of billions of dollars of free cash flow. And they're sitting on a ton of cash. And this is stuff that they can use to build um, a content uh, business. Not necessarily go out and buy a library and legacy product. I mean, Rich has talked at length about what Netflix has done over the past 10 years and the amount of money they can spend. Apple's got 900 million active users of its iPhones. If it can start bringing them content and, and sign them up to a subscription-based service, 
That's right. where they're going. And that's not something that's disrupting their existing business What model. level of cheap is Apple right now? It's had a pullback. The Apple gloom crews out in full force. China, we're all going to die. On the Walter Pysik range, how cheap is cheap now for Apple? It's kind of cheap. It's not super cheap like it was five months ago when it was 25, 30% mm-hmm. discount to the market. I think we're like two turns discount to the market, right. which has come back largely on these trade war fears. So yeah. you're not getting a massive bargain on it right now. And, and yeah. look, there's frankly risk. What They are a huge target in this trade war. What we've done yeah. as a country uh, to Huawei, and now what you're seeing in China as far as the negative sentiment towards the U.S. is right. going to have an impact on, on their numbers. Just because of time, Richard, what's, what's your one idea right now? Give us a stock idea today where Sweeney can go large this summer. <laughs> the single best idea for your listeners right now that I would go all in on is, is Snapchat. You know, We think Snapchat is making the turn. It is a hated company by Wall Street, very much like Twitter was two years ago. Nobody wants to talk about it in investor meetings. It's been left for dead. The stock's bounced off the bottom. It's still well below its $16 IPO two plus years ago, but it is getting better. They are shifting into more of a platform versus a walled garden. People are not focused on that transition and the fact that the product is getting better. And so I look at a stock that can move meaningfully over the course of the next six to nine months. Snapchat is the single best idea I have on the long side. Before we let you go, guys, just real quick, Viacom CBS. Soon. 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 <laughs> but on the other hand, it's a broken record. We've been saying soon, soon for three years, but a lot of people had to get fired first. And Tom, that's the next drama. If you're looking for what's going to replace Game of Thrones, it's going to be what happens with Sherry Redstone and, yes, Sumner huh. is still alive, and the two yeah. companies of CBS and Viacom. And then the time to both of you, and both of you answer within your capabilities, what happens to sports on media? I mean, does Amazon start bidding against the networks we're all familiar with? I mean, Amazon's already starting, right? I mean, Thursday Night Football, yeah. you can simulcast on Amazon. They've done things like U.S. Open tennis overseas. But in five years, are they going to be dominant? or is You know, it's funny. Jimmy Pitaro, who runs ESPN, was interviewed the other day by your competitor over at the Wall Street Journal. And he was asked a similar question of like, could you imagine in five years you wake up and Amazon, Google, and Facebook all own major sports rights? And he basically said, I can't envision that. Like, I just don't think it's going to happen. And look, it may not be all three, but I would be shocked, Tom, literally shocked, if one of the major tech platforms didn't buy some major sports rights okay. over the next couple of years. And this, Sunday Ticket's up right now. Amazon could buy Sunday Ticket rights okay. this year. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much, both of you coming in, Walter Prysik and uh, Rich Greenfield. It's great and particularly great because our entourage is so large that we got them into the claimed atrium here at our world headquarters. They are with BTIG. Again, don't ask us for their literature. We protect the copyright of all of our guests' literature. You can get it at BTIG. Rich Greenfield, Walter Prysik. Paul, to get things started with Craig Moffat, who's won the Institutional Investor Award so many times, I think they named it after him. Yeah, or exactly. Like that. Cable, telecom, the you go-to. Know, whatever. Person. But you know, Craig Moffat with us, and I love Craig. Your single phrase on AT and T, searching for a unifying theory. Whether we own AT and T or not, we care about Ma Bell. Is this? Does this Ma Bell have a future? 
Well, I, I, how are you, Tom? Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if it has a unifying theory. That's the problem. Um, the, some of the businesses are healthier than others. Um, the wireless business is getting a bit healthier. The media businesses that they've bought um, face, I think, an uphill challenge um, to compete with Disney Plus and some of the online streaming solutions. Um, but it, DirecTV, as we all know, it has a world of problems. But the bigger problem with AT&T as a whole is, is what is the whole? What is the unifying theory that makes this more than just a collection of disparate businesses, most of which are struggling? So, Craig, I, if I think back all the way to when that deal was announced, it was, you know, to kind of sum it up, it was, hey, we've got this big wireless network and let's put some content out to those on this wireless network to our customers. How concerned are you and you know, investors that it seems like a lot of the talent from Time Warner walked out the door, whether it's HBO or Turner. And do I really want some telephone guys running my media business? Look, that that's a big enough problem in and of itself, right? I mean, I think it was, there, there was a good logic for saying that the silos that used to be Time Warner, that is the studio running separately from the Turner networks, running separately from HBO, that those were too siloed and that there was a strategic imperative to unify them somewhat so that you could make decisions across the, the entire business of Warner Media um, that, that would, would make some sense strategically. I get that. And in fact, you could also say that there's some cost savings in doing that too, and that's fine as well. I get all that. That's fine. The problem is the, the Hippocratic Oath of Business, right, is first do no harm to the patient. Um, if the talent of an organization like HBO or Turner leaves or Warner, Warner Brothers Studio leaves, you're in real trouble. And, and so the, the, the challenge facing AT&T is how do you make some necessary strategic adjustments without jeopardizing the, the cultural integrity of the business? And the jury's out, but you have to be at least a little nervous or more than a little nervous that some top talent has already left and that a lot of resumes are out there. Craig, just because of time, I want to go to the vision for all our listeners of how many players there will be. It's a foropoly now in wireless. I guess we're having a national debate about a triopoly in wireless. Do we care? Or is it just T-Mobile and everybody else? What, what is it right now? Well, look, you're right. It's it's at the network layer of wireless, it's four. If the Sprint T-Mobile deal gets approved with or without the spinoff of the Boost Wireless brand, which is what the companies have proposed to the federal to the FCC, and the FCC has agreed that that's sufficient, the DOJ hasn't decided yet, um, it would still be going from four to three networks. And that's the real question that the Department of Justice is struggling with, is three underlying networks, irrespective of the number of players retailing on top of it, is three underlying networks sufficient? I don't know the answer to that. I'm, I'm not sure. You can make the argument that it's good for 5G investment and, and 5G technology to, to let the third player be stronger, um, but the counterargument that ultimately you're likely to see higher prices for consumers not an implausible one. And again, that's what the DOJ is struggling with. So Craig, you talk about perhaps, you know, an uncertain underlying you know, strategy for AT&T now that it's ball time Warner. Let's switch gears to Comcast. Um, you know, obviously the, you know, the, the, a 
fantastic cable company over the years. Uh, you know, they bought NBC Universal, really getting into the content business. They made a big run at 21st Century Fox, lost to Disney. I guess the you know the they did the consolation prize with Sky. Are they a collection of assets, or do you see an, kind of an overriding theme there? I, I see them as two collections of assets. It's it's not quite as much of a hodgepodge as AT and T is, but the it's not entirely clear to me, nor has it ever been, by the way, how NBC fits with the cable business, and it's not entirely clear to me how Sky, their newest asset, fits with the cable business. It sort of fits with NBC, but so you know the challenge for Comcast is now somewhat similar to AT&T in that you've got a cable business which a lot of people have for years said looked like a dinosaur um, that is just moving from strength to strength. And the, the infrastructure underlying um, the, the, the physical distribution of ones and zeros, whether it's, it's Netflix or Hulu or somebody else's OTT video, that side of the business does really well in this kind of new media future. But it's really unclear what happens to NBC and what happens to Sky in that new media future. And that's what investors are grappling with with Comcast, which is Comcast is, you think of it as a cable company, but 48% of its revenues are now non-cable. And so it's kind of split down the middle in a way that, at least to my mind, half of it right now looks very good, the cable side, and the other half has a lot of question marks. Craig Moffat, do you have a single best buy right now? I mean, given the goofiness of the market, China trade, all the other stuff we talk about every day, is there a Moffat Nathanson OMG, this is cheap call? Uh, uh, well, I'll tell you on my side of the coverage. So Michael Nathanson covers media. I cover telecom and cable. On my side of the coverage, I, I really like where the cable industry is positioned right now. And um, to me, that means Comcast uh, is is half of that business is really attractive, but a better way to play it is Charter. I'd rather own Charter, and I'd rather own Altice USA. Altice is still a very cheap stock, even after having a nice run. Um, I'd rather own Altice and, and Charter than anything else in my coverage right now. So, so Craig, just focusing on Charter, that's the you know another big cap name. It's the second biggest cable operator out there. I'm not sure everybody. It's not as high profile as Comcast, but you know John Malone uh, has a big piece of Charter. What do you think Charter does in this consolidating media landscape? Do they feel the need to jump in in any way? Do you think? Um, I think they'd like to buy more cable if they could, but realistically, I'm not sure there's much there to buy. Some have suggested that they could even um, try to acquire Altice USA, although I, I find that pretty unlikely. Um, I, I don't know that you need a merger consolidation story, certainly not a vertical story. I don't think they have any interest in buying into media or anything like that. Yeah. I don't think you need a consolidation story for those stocks to work or to really like the position that the cable infrastructure providers are in. After all, those are quintessentially local infrastructure um, you can string together a lot of localities and make it a bigger collection but it doesn't fundamentally yeah. change the economic premise of the business just to make it a whole lot bigger Craig Moffat thank you so much with Moffat Nathanson here on uh, a number of the things that we pay monthly bills to as well this has been <laughs> a real joy to have uh, a media focus thanks for listening to the Bloomberg surveillance podcast Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. 
I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. 